All right, this is Comedy Store Podcast, uh, episode seven, uh, with about two and a half years break between episode huh. six and seven, due to a number of issues, mainly contractual type stuff. Uh, you know, we were looking for more funding. We had zero then, or we're working with zero now. So, you know, the the strike was worth it, but we're back and. Uh, Got Earl Skakel in the house today, talk yeah. comedy store, uh, living the dream here, all the good times, all the bad times. How so, are you, Earl? Good, good. Plenty of both. Yeah. Uh, how long uh, How long have you been coming to the comedy store? Well, I, I originally came here in 2000, and then I saw Brody Stevens make an open mic or cry. Nice. How, a potluck. Was Brody hosting? Or yeah, was he, he was hosting. And, uh, God, I, I, I missed out on Brody hosting potluck days. That sounds glorious. Yeah, this poor kid. Uh, he was from San Diego, and he, he bombed, which no, you know, no big it's deal. It's the open mic. I mean, 98% of the sets were bombing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I and, assume there was, you know, five people max in the audience. You know, I remember 20 comics. It being pretty full. Oh, okay. And uh, Brody took the mic from him and said, uh, where are you from? And the guy said, La Jolla. He's like, well, that drive just got a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The kid just started crying. I'm like, I don't think this place is for me. Is that Was that, uh, was that pre-positive energy, Brody Stevens? Yeah, yeah, because then he yelled at John Little, who went on. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think John got discouraged and, you know, left. And Brody was like, you got to be professional, man. And John was like, I'll get professional when you pay me. Nice. And, uh, I'm like, you know, I think I'll go to other open mics. Or something. <laughs> I was I was pretty new at the time. So that was your that was your first comedy store experience. And have yeah. you been here hanging out at all? No, was, that was you, you uh, came for the uh, you came to get three minutes of glorious stage time and yeah, I become saw, famous within a week. Oh, absolutely. I think I saw Dave Tyree open up for uh, Eddie Griffin. Oh, OK. And. I approached Dave Tyree after because I found it. I thought he was really funny. Yeah, that, I love Dave. I I used to he used to come here a lot when I first was around, and uh, he would just sit around and tell us old stories that I feel like eighty percent were lies, but still a good storyteller. So oh, I didn't was, mind. Yeah, he, and he said, "Well, I'll get you some uh, stage time." Nice. And uh, I actually I've never told anyone this uh, before, but I. I I paid him money to write jokes for me. Dave Tyree? Yeah. Beautiful. Because he was really dirty, and at the time, that's what I thought I wanted to do, you know, dick jokes and sure. you know, pussy jokes. and he The stuff that hits. Yeah, because uh, I had no material, and uh, <laughs> I paid him a pretty large sum of money. Wow. And uh, I looked at the jokes the other day because he typed them out for me, and I think half of them were like, joke book jokes classics that i like was like wait a minute i've heard that joke hold on a second so uh like there was one uh there's a male cologne called umpire for foul balls wow (laughs) and i paid for that show but that i mean that's classic to this day i hope you still i I feel like you paid for it that's yours you can roll with that one well i don't think it was his that's okay so um once you paid someone for it it became the property thereof skakel incorporated well it's probably one of the better jokes i've ever told so <laughs> and then uh so i i just didn't think the store was i i didn't think i was right for the store had you been doing comedy elsewhere or was this pretty early on in this the, very early on okay and so i started doing uh, i didn't come back to about 2009 
Oh, okay. And then how old were you when you started doing comedy? 30. I started really super late. So you started and you said you went to the other clubs. I went to a, more open mics than clubs and uh, became like uh, like the someone called me the Dane Cook of open mics because, you know, everyone loved when I was there. And you know, right. I, I, I never really I certainly bombed a lot. But uh, even when I bombed. Uh, salvaged something out of it and uh so i probably got too used to that people uh i like the feeling i got at open mics yeah people were nice to me and, and so i probably didn't advance as far as i should have yeah but i mean at the same time it's stage time and it's better to be the fucking king of the open mic than it is to be just some dude doing open mics yeah i just but like i started doing rooms with whitney cummings and like about like oh four Okay. And uh, like she would always leave right after saying, I'm going to go home and write. I'm going to go home and edit. And like, well, let's go to Mel's and hang out. And uh, she probably had the better. Uh, so you're saying her game plan was much better. I think it was. Yeah. It was. I remember uh, Whitney, when she first was coming around here, uh, the, the former talent coordinator, Tommy, had just taken over. <laughs> and uh, I was, I went from hooking him up with weed <laughs> To now being like, oh, this guy's making decisions. Uh, but because I had hooked him up with weed for several years, he got me, he gave me a lot of stage time. And I noticed that if I went up on like Sundays and Mondays, he wouldn't give me as many spots during the week. Like he just counted that as one of my spots. Right. And so back then I was, uh, you know, an alcoholic and, uh, I had really nothing going on in life. So I was here pretty much every night. <laughs> and so I'd be here on open mic nights and Whitney would show up and she'd be, Oh, Hey, you know, always real nice. Ask me how I was doing or whatever. And you going up and I'd be like, Oh no, I'm not going up tonight. She'd be like, why? You should go up every night. I'd be like, no, trust me. Right. I don't go up tonight. I benefit from it later. And she's like, no, you should just go up and do stage time anywhere you can as much as possible. I'm like, no, that, that's not how it works. Yeah. And she's had like eight shows and I've got diabetes. So, I mean, I think we both in the end chose the right path for ourselves. Yeah, but you have, you're probably the most respected comic up here and, and I'm not trying to kiss your ass. It's, I'm, I mean, I don't know if the, I think that's true, but if, if it is true, it's, I'm the, a respected comic at one club in the United States and literally have no respect whatsoever at any other club. So, I, you know, I've I, listened in 15 years of comedy. I've never heard one person say a bad word about you, which is rare in this. Uh, yeah, that's that's preposterous. Y you know, uh, I've certainly burned enough bridges to get at least one bad thing said about me. Well, you know, I'm you know, who knows? This is such a wacky business, man. Yeah. You know, it's I, I don't understand it still. So uh, um, now you are you're one of the most recent paid regulars. Yeah, me and which Candace. Is, Thompson. Uh, long overdue, obviously. Uh, how many showcases did you have to do before? Just one, uh, with the new, uh, talent coordinator, Adam, uh, Adam, who has an extremely strict and professional relationship with the club. No funny business on the side. That's what I like about him. <laughs> well, I mean, I, uh, I, I, uh, never really jived with the old talent coordinator, uh, which you think I would have given our, you know, love of the eighties and right. Uh, sons of anarchy and like, 
uh, all things that uh, all things. should bring men together. But I'm not so uh, you, you know I, I just kind of gave up after a while with him. Did he, uh, what, you never showcase for Mitzi? No, I never uh, even have really met her. I mean, I saw her once in the main room or in the OR watching people, and I was too scared to go up to her. It, so. She was terrifying, absolutely terrifying, yeah. like to interact with. Even to the last time I saw her, which was probably four or five years ago, at that point, the mind had certainly wandered away, and yeah. she was just standing in the back of the parking lot, and uh, it's one of those things where I felt bad, because as much terror as I felt, she was still this tiny little lady standing by herself who just looked bewildered. So I just walked up and said, you know, Mitzi, uh, are you all right? Do you need me to get anything? And she just goes what are we doing? I was like, fuck that. I have no idea what we're doing. Good question. <laughs> yeah. And so. then someone quickly shoot her into a car and got her out of there. But, uh, every interaction I had with her was literally like my heart was going to explode right. out of my chest. I mean, that's probably my one, well, not one regret, but never getting a showcase for her just cause to me, she still is like, you want her, yeah out of approval and i mean you look at the comics that she broke and yeah it's like uh, you know i was trying to get in with tommy yeah well different it's definitely different but i mean i guess in the end the club's the club she was losing her mind by the time i got passed remember she passed me and i was like oh this is great and i remember thinking i'm gonna be famous in no time mitzi saw talent in me and I'm going to start getting stage time and this is great. And then like three weeks later, she passed Jimmy and Joey. And I just remember being like, this fucking lady lost her damn mind. I'm part of this crazy cycle. Two dudes of no witnesses. It was like two midget dice wannabe impersonators. And she felt they were equally as talented as me within a month. I was just like, ouch. But the Jimmys in that act were like guitar players from Whitesnake in like the 90s. It was just like every other week it was a new Jimmy. Yeah, they went through a lot. I, I feel one of one of the things I'm most proud of, I think, was having a pretty strong hand in the in the convincing the original Jimmy to quit. <laughs> that was his brother, too. Yeah, his actual brother. Every time they went up, they'd get belly room spots. And every time they'd went up, again, I was here drinking. <laughs> Someone would be like, hey, uh, I, th- I think Jimmy and Joey said they needed another guy. <laughs> and I would wander upstairs and just start yelling out punchlines and then try and get on stage. And that Joe, the Joey guy, would right. always push me off. Hey, get out of here. You're just, you're just a little baby in diapers. Get out of here. That was his insult. I was just be like, no witnesses. Oh. Like, yeah, we haven't done that joke yet. Well, I just get to the part with the no witnesses. You're supposed to repeat it. And they would get furious. <laughs> and then the original Jimmy, who had like this enormous jack-o'-lantern sized head, would uh, he came up to me after several months of berating guys who were 20 years older than me. And he was like, what? I don't, why do you always interrupt us? Why? What if what? Why does someone think that's so funny? And I was like, people think you guys are a joke. And then within two or three months after that, he was done. It's just like, no, people think we're a joke. There's no reason to be doing this. And then that caused a rift between the actual brothers. Yeah, and then uh, I think that's when Fat James came. Fat out. James stepped in. Rest in uh, rest in peace. 
one of the one of the worst people uh, that I ever knew out here. He was the only person that really was shitty to me when I first became a oh, really? employee. Fat James was so excited that there was someone he felt was beneath him because I was the new guy. Right. He would just try and say shit to me. He was always trying to make fun of me. And then look to the other guys like, Did you guys just hear that? I just right. razzed this kid. I was just like, shut up, you fat fuck. So when he died, it was one of those things where people were like, yeah, are you going to go to Rocco's for right. the Fat James? I'm like, fuck no. I'm mean, celebrating. I went the uh, last three days. He was in the hospital, man. It was, it was, Damn. I, I've never seen someone get fatter and have bone cancer. Like, oh, yeah. he got bigger. Like, <laughs> it was just, it's like defies the laws of like the medical journal. Yeah. It was pretty tough. I think I saw him within six months before he died, after he was diagnosed at uh, the Ralph's. Uh, Trying to think which one it was. The one on Laurel Canyon? Um, no, it would have been further west. It probably would have been down by Beverly Glen. Oh, okay. I know Like the Sherman Oaks yeah. area or um, Havenhurst, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and he was on a mo- little motorized cart. And he was yeah. with someone else. He was riding down the aisles. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm going to have to say hi to him. And he looked at me. And I was like, hey. He didn't say anything. He just kind of looked confused and yeah, rode by. Was, I was like, uh, oh, shit. You know him and uh, Ramsey Moore, who just passed away. Yeah, what what happened with the? I mean, Ramsey was a big dude, so he was. Uh, he was. He might have been bigger than Fat James. I think he was. Which uh, he he was taller too. So yeah, he was about uh, four hundred fifty, five hundred, maybe. Man, yeah. The only time I ever met him was at the comedy boxing thing. Yeah, which and is the craziest. It, it was an impressive display from both of those dudes. J-Mac. J-Mac. Who hasn't been seen since. Is that right? No one has seen. I, well, you're not going to see Ramsey anymore, but like, thir- you know, was it like 13? Well, you were announcing with Hinchcliffe, right? Yeah. So it was like 13 minutes in between rounds. Yeah. It was, those two. Yeah, it was intense. But I mean, they were the only two who seemed to legitimately be taking it seriously. Which was impressive because I, I expected each guy to last about 14 seconds. It was going to be like a King Hippo. I just remember the owner of the gym because someone had said earlier that Boone Shakalaka had AIDS. <laughs> and he tugs me on the show and he's like, hey, man, uh, that black guy in the first match, he, he doesn't really have AIDS, does he? I'm like, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Up in the air. It's up possible. in the air. <laughs> so one, one of my worst days uh, in life and at the comedy store was when uh, before I was diagnosed diabetic, I lost a lot of weight and I went from like about 160 to about 115 and really, yeah, in about four or five weeks and I just kept losing weight. And so I set up a doctor's appointment at the SAD clinic, but of course it was like three weeks ahead. So, uh, I just kept losing weight and was just like, this isn't good. And Boone shock uh, walked up to me and was like, hey, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I got to go to the doctor next week. I think you got AIDS. This is one of those moments where you're like, wow. this person is telling me I have AIDS. That is a bad, bad sign. You might have it. Yeah. I mean, he, he probably could sense it. was like spider sense tingling. Like, ooh, my AIDS can feel your AIDS. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a few people here that might have it. That's true. I mean, although now that they lock the offices and the backstage areas, it's a little harder for hookups. Yeah, the spreading is. You have any good uh, any good hookups at the comedy store? 
Uh, geez, probably none that I want to broadcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's understandable. I mean, there's uh, some twin girls that used to hang out here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I know yeah, the twins. The, the, some might refer to them as brothers. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're not the most... Uh, I like them. It's uh, funny. They're, they're both very nice. They're always very nice yeah, to me. Yeah, they're cool. And, uh, but... The reason I say I think I know is because last time I spoke to, spoke to one of them, they asked the first thing they asked was, "Hey, is Earl Skakel here?" I said, I, "I don't know." Yeah, I mean, they, well, it's just the visual of seeing two faces. They're double. They're uh, identical twins, right? And to see two faces down in your uh, nether region, exactly the same, it's pretty wild. That's mind boggling. So. Uh, you know, I, I I mean, I've hooked. You know, I, I I've done okay here for non celebrity. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's one of those one of those clubs that uh, I, I guess it's the fraternity uh, house aspect of the comedy store, the animal house aspect, where it's like there are so many dark corners in this building oh, it's, uh, that are being used for uh, all sorts of interesting hookups over the years. But that's what I think gives this place. Like, you don't do that at the Improv or right. the Laugh Factory. Well, it's not even an option. Yeah, I mean, here it's multiple options. Even yeah. with the new enhanced uh, with a- areas. Videos and, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, some girl... Uh, told me oh yeah we can go in here i'm like there's cameras everywhere she's like no no i know where they all are and aren't see that's that's genius oh she was awesome but you know uh, i had a long time girlfriend for a while so i was a good boy that's good and then uh you know a a drunk waitress ruined that relationship so it was a whole like a drunk comedy store waitress told her that i was uh doing something i wasn't oh that's the worst and uh you know the whole thing there and then uh which is the only, probably the only bad thing about this cover, the rumors and stuff. Yeah. Hey, Rick, you know, everyone knows you have a lovely wife and she really is awesome. I yeah. remember when you guys were dating, like first, and I was like, wow, this girl's like, almost doesn't belong here. She's so nice and proper. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's very out of place. I think that's part of what I liked about her. Yeah, I mean, and she, she... And she loves the coolest music, so, which is rare. Right. For like a girl that's you know, younger than I am, but the music she likes, like, I would guess, I would just guess most girls her age listen to absolute crap. Right. But I lucked out. Yeah. I mean, I can't find girls who like my taste in music. It's tough. Yeah. What, I, what, what's your, what are your favorites? I might lose you as a friend when I start naming these bands, but I, yeah, I, I like eighties metal, like not Metallica or, or Iron Maiden, uh, but like rat. And, okay. Uh, who uh, used to come here a lot? Rats, great. Uh, you know, Poison, uh, and then I get into the real. Uh, I saw Poison with uh, Def Leppard, I think two summers ago. And Cheap Trick, I was at the same. Uh, and uh, is it CC? Yeah, he's great. Uh, he literally reminds me of like Animal from the Muppets. Yeah, and that's what he does. He's just running around looking absolutely insane. I mean, he was like a classically trained guitar player. And then, you know, I'm sure mid-80s, he was like, uh, I got to make money. So blonde hair, pink guitars. <laughs> yep. uh, so I like music that's uh, you don't have to think about, you know. Yeah. Like when Poison's singing Unskinny Bop. Classic. It's not a lot of, you know. <laughs> like Adam, the manager, loves Morrissey. The worst. I, I, I don't get it, but... Uh, 
uh, you know, the replacements. You know, he likes all these, uh, like him and Nick Yusuf. Emo kind of. You know. I I mean, unless you're a gothic Latina chick, I don't know why you would ever like Morrissey. Well, I mean, my uh, ex-girlfriend was working at Morrissey concert once. She's like, come by, check him out. So I go there, and he called in sick at the very last second, and they had to fly in Billy Idol. Mm-hmm. And I like, well, you know, Morrissey fans are like primarily gay, Hispanic, and, yeah. and Adam. Yeah, and, and Adam. <laughs> it was anything but gay. Uh, and I'm like, well, this is going to be tough. You know, it's like seeing a comic who... Uh, like it has to play in front of a crowd he doesn't uh, usually play in front of. It's like you're probably going to struggle, but right. uh, at two songs in, they loved Billy Idol. So that's uh, cool. You know, Billy Idol was in the original room here at the comedy store, maybe three years ago or something. And he sat in one of the booths and just fucking talked at, at full volume. <laughs> <laughs> like while the show was going on, I was I was like two comics away. I was so excited. I was going to just start ripping them apart right. just for being a fucking a dick in the back of the room. But he left. I think Dolia was up for me. He left during Dolia with some, some lady. Of but course. I was thoroughly amazed with how in his own world of awesome he was that he just didn't think it, it was at all inappropriate to just be in full conversation for 45 straight minutes while a comedy show was going on. And like all the people in the crowd kept turning around looking. You could tell everyone wanted to complain, but right. then it'd be like the, you turn to look at the asshole talking and then you're like, I'm pretty sure that's Billy Idol. Yeah. You sit back there just like, oh yeah, forget about that. You know, and you're like, that's definitely Billy Idol. That's fucking crazy. But you out of anyone or probably one of the, maybe Barris are the only ones capable of like, not just shutting him up, but making him like you. Yeah. Like a lot of comics would have been flustered or right. try to line or tune, you know. I try and keep things charmingly offensive. That's that's the goal with most things. I was just telling someone downstairs about uh, there's a, a guy who comes to the shows every weekend now. His name's Mike. He laughs like a crazy hyena being strangled to death or something i mean it's an insane laugh and maybe about two months ago i was getting i was a couple comics away from going up and i was just like who is that laughing and they're like it's that guy and every joke like it wouldn't even the person would say the setup right and the guy would turn and look at the other people at his table and just lose it and he's here tonight, so he came up to me after my set uh, and wanted to talk. Oh, hey, that's awesome. I loved what you said with this and whatever. And uh, he was asking me about when I started talking to the crowd. And for me, it was I was on the road with Dice, and I was doing my old bits that I used to have that were just so terrible. I, I, let's just say I wish I had some Dave Tyree gems to got a get me through. For you. <laughs> you make some of your money back right now. I'll buy them. Um, but I go and I try and do my, you know, I, I'm from Kansas. It's what I like to call last comic standing comedy. Right. You know, it's you just take the most basic element of my mom is Irish and my dad is Swedish. So that means I get sunburned when I drink. Uh, so I was doing that kind of shitty, just basic me jokes and dice crabs were just fucking cornhole in me. Like no matter what I get, like 30 seconds into my set, people just be like, fuck off, bring up dice. Yeah. It's tough. Like, Oh, 
And eventually Dice was just, he's like, my crowds, they're no holds barred. You got to fucking put them in that place if they're yelling at you. So then I just started being a dick. Right. People would shout out. Then I would just start telling people, you know, oh, get it. I hope you fucking get in a car accident. I'm just saying like the meanest shit I could think of. And then Dice Crowd's loving it. I bet. I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is way more fun. And then I tried to bring that style of comedy, the comedy store after doing that with Dice for a couple of months. And it's just a normal crowd is not at all okay with you just saying horrible things to people. I so mean, then you- it took me a while to kind of mix it in. Do you think it matters where you go up in the lineup though? Like, like you just followed Talia downstairs and did great. Yeah. Like yeah. Do you think if you went on first, you, you would still like, or you never really gone first anymore. Um, I, I guess it would depend. I mean, going up first always stinks just in general. I mean, I, I don't mind following anybody. I'll go up after anyone. I don't care, but going up first is generally terrible. I struggle a little bit. I just did a uh, Montreal showcase for the first time in like seven years. And, go. Uh, I had to go up first and it was at the improv, the bar or the lab, whatever right. they call it. And uh, there was about five or six people there that were waiting to get into the Jay Moore show that started at 10 (laughs) and they were not happy that there was a comedy show going on. And that was, so that was my showcase and I had to go first. So, uh, Andrew Santino, funny, very funny comic was hosting. He went up, just had to walk up on stage. Okay. You guys ready to start? And they were just like, they looked at him like, what start? We just were eating some chicken fingers and having a beer waiting for the other show to start. So he brought me up and it was brutal. Just like the worst show I've done in 10 years. So I'm just like, oh, so thank God this was my showcase for something that might further my career. But uh, who knows? I mean, they might just like your look. Maybe. I, I don't know. It was uh, it was it was odd. I, I opened it with a joke and then I tried to involve the crowd since that's kind of my specialty. I was like, I might, might as well show them what I can do. And I said, uh, I go, you guys from out of town? And the guy goes, tell your jokes. Which oh, is, wow. I was like, oh, this is this is great. <laughs> so I just moved on. I asked, so went to one of the other, the, uh, the other table and uh, made fun of them for a minute. And they, they were cool about it. But, yeah, it was brutal. And then I got off stage and just the look of joy and all the other comics faces like, oh, fuck, yeah. I'm glad that wasn't me. Benji comes, hey, you know what? I mean, you do great all the time. I wouldn't worry about it. He's yeah. like, go fuck yourself, Benji. Oh, I don't tell anyone. Like, if I, you know, when someone doesn't have a good set, I, I just don't say anything. Yeah, that's the best plan. That's what I prefer. Yeah. You know, I I don't do well sometimes here. And I just walk out of the, I don't want to be, hear that shit. Oh, it's, yeah. You just, because, you know, even if they say something nice, they're still just fucking placating you. It's like. I don't need this bullshit. Well, that happens a lot, I think, here, because there's such a uh, wild atmosphere here, and I think people like to push people's buttons here just to see a meltdown. And Sure. You know, like it, at the other clubs, I don't think it's... There's a certain level of professionalism yeah. at other clubs that does not exist in this like void. A, let's get Rick pissed, hey, uh, <laughs> you know, or let's see Earl have a meltdown. <laughs> yeah, a lot of buttons being pushed. But I still love this place the most. Like, For sure. You know. It's it's the only place I've ever felt normal in my Me entire too. life. Or it's like everywhere else I've ever been, 
comedy club or just at someone's house. I've always just kind of felt odd, but I feel like I'm one of the most normal people here. Well, you are. Me and you are. There's so many fucking insane bastards running around this place where you're just like, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, uh, I always tell people this place is like that bar in Star Wars. Yeah. There's just... Just bandits and... Every unsavory L.A. character. (laughs) Yeah. And in the comedy world, just, you know, is here. You never know if you'll see a fight or... You know, I mean, it's just, I, I have I have so many homeless black fathers because of this place. Just random dudes. I mean, earlier I was telling someone about uh, Eddie Whitehead was here. And I said, <laughs> they said, who is that? And I go, oh, that's one of my black fathers. And they're like, what? Like, I don't know. He always says, walks up and says, oh, hey, son, how you doing? So I started saying, oh, this is my, my black father. And then not five minutes later, this actual homeless dude walks up winston i don't know if you're familiar yeah, with winston. I know who he is. winston walks up oh hey son my other homeless black father is here too this is going to be an odd night winston immediately hey you got any pants i can have i'm sorry did you just beg for pants it's fraser smith here he said oh. he's gonna bring me pants all i'm thinking was you don't want those pants but he claimed, yeah, I want his pants, man. I got a, I got a liver problem. I piss myself all the time. Well, God, it's probably, good, always good to see you, Winston. They'll probably smell the same. <laughs> yeah, well, the piss will, will dilute the smell some. Well, that's the best thing about the store. Not so much now because there seems to be a more uh, mainstream management uh, in place. But, you know, right. maybe a couple of years ago, you'd have Peanut yep. in one corner, Eddie Whitehead in the middle, and Big Rod classics you know snoring in the back yeah basically a black king kong bundy (laughs) and like you'd be doing your act or you know whatever he used to uh big rod used to work for the tv show blind date oh really that was his gig was he would try and get dudes to be on blind date he got jeff danish to do an episode uh I mean, this was really early because I, I wasn't old enough. You had to be 25, and I still wasn't old enough. But he always, oh, man, as soon as you turn old enough, I'm going to get you on. I'm like, I don't I don't want to be on blind date. No, we'll get you on. You're not hooking me up, fat oh. rod. Big rod? Big rod. Fat big. Whatever. I mean, I'm surprised he's alive. Yeah. Um, yeah, Peanut, that's another one of those legends. Yeah, he was like a cracked out, like hemp and uh, he thinks so i remember him explaining to don barris and i one night about how he would have been in the nba he and kobe used to go to the same yeah kobe and i used to go to the same basketball camp man i'd be in the nba right now if it didn't cost so much (laughs) Uh, just to me the greatest excuse for why he's not in the nba he didn't have the money to pay to get in the league everyone knows you gotta you gotta pay top dollar to play in the NBA. Well, I mean, who knows what his uh, thought process was, you know, uh, in his athletic endeavors, but I saw him get knocked the fuck out one night here. By years an ago. Member? No, no. He was uh, standing in the back. And at the time I was doing, uh, I spent most of the night, like I said, drinking and I would uh, pretty much stay in characters the whole night as to make sure I never had to have a real conversation with anybody. I was either making drunk Argus impression or I was doing Darnell Valentine. And so whenever Peanut was around, Don would bear Hey, Darnell, isn't this your cousin Peanut? Oh, hell yeah. I go over, start yelling at Peanut. Peanut would just look at me like, 
man, this dude is crazy. So one night, standing in the back, and Don walked, hey, Darnell, your cousin Peanut is crazy. And I just walk over and start yelling at Peanut, just full on. Oh, Peanut, I'm a whoop your ass. You a bitch. <laughs> so I, I talk shit for like three or four minutes. And Peanut's just kind of st- staring at me confused, like, what the fuck? And about 10 minutes later, we're standing in the parking lot smoking, and some dude wearing a motorcycle helmet comes running by with a motorcycle helmet on his on his fist and just punches Peanut square in the face while Peanut's just standing there, arms down, no defense whatsoever, just knocked him clean out. We were all just standing there like, dude just punched him and then just ran straight out. Like right at the back door, right. And then just ran through the front and down Sunset. For no what one stopped reason? him. Just, I guess he owed Peanut or Peanut owed him uh, money or something. Is what was later revealed. But Peanut called me and got my number from the comedy store. And yeah, I need you to come down to court and tell him that you saw this dude. I go, yeah, the guy was wearing a motorcycle helmet. Well, yeah, but you just tell him that you saw him though. And this is who it was. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not lying for Peanut. Right. Someone, if I had an actual friend that was like, yeah, I need you to say something. F- fuck yeah, I'll be there. But Crazy Peanut is not getting. Yeah. Uh, Mickey, same thing. When Mickey was trying to sue uh, Hangover 2, claiming right. they stole the story of his life, he called me up, wanted me to come testify that. I witnessed him telling his life story in front of Tony Hinchcliffe, who then told it to Brody Stevens, who then told it to Zach Galifianakis, who then turned it into the Hangover 2, as if Hangover 2 wasn't just a carbon copy of Hangover 1. Yeah. It was based on Mickey's life, because Mickey is four dudes partying their balls off in Thailand. Well, you know, I think one of those nights you were Darnell was what got me coming back up here. It was like you... Uh, Barris and Brody on stage. I, I think they were doing the band, and, and right. they brought you up to do a rap song. Yep. And I was like, okay, the, the vibe seems a little different here. Yeah. And I remember Brody from my previous. Experience. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's that same guy, but he seems to like be a little more uh, jovial. And then Don yeah. was like, I'd never seen someone work a crowd like Don. It's magic. And then you were in that, you know, just jive talking like slick <laughs> character, like right out of the WWE in the mid eighties. I'm like, oh, this yeah. guy's fucking hilarious, and I'll start coming back up here again. And yeah, I was yeah. Uh, when you started showing. I don't know how I, I knew you before. Maybe it was from open mics here or something. But I do remember when you came back around. People were generally pretty excited. Like. Oh, shit. Big Skakes is back. Yeah, I just wasn't uh, prepared. Uh, I was a pretty bad comic when I first started. So I, this, uh, what I love about the store is it seems to weed out the, the jokers and the, the bullshitters and yeah. phony people. And uh, not that I was ever those things, but I, I wanted to impress you guys. And I didn't think I was ready for that. I didn't right. Brody making me cry. So Yeah, and then after... I wasn't around for uh, for tear bringing tears, Brody. But when I showed up, there was Dave Taylor was around. He was hosting and stuff. He was making uh, at least one girl cry every couple days. Oh, I can see that. He he was pretty on point with that. I remember standing up front, with my buddy Sheezer. He was out visiting. It was before he moved out here, and we were standing out in the front of the 
comedy store on the patio and car pulls up, honks the horn a couple times. I kind of look over. I'm like, I don't know who that is. Some girl. She rolls down the window, honks, honks again. She's yelling, she's her, John. I'm like, oh, John, some, some chicks here for you. He walks over. It was some girl he knew from college. He brought me over and I performed at his college the year before. And I guess the girl was there or whatever. So, oh yeah, you remember her? One of you know, 80 people I met that night. I have no idea who she is. Right. And I'm just, oh, yeah, good to see you. You should uh, park your car. You should come in and watch the show. And she's like, I came here a couple months ago, and this tall guy named Dave made me cry. I'll never come back here again. And I was like, wow, okay. And then I probably heard that same story 20 times over <laughs> the next couple of years. Just random people being like, where do you perform? Oh, at the comedy store. Oh, I was there, and my huh. friend Ashley, this tall guy, Dave, was so mean to her, and it was always just tall guy Dave, and he made her cry. And, I mean, I've witnessed it a couple times in the room, oh, just yeah. watching him. He's brutal. Tear someone apart, but in the, the Yelp reviews for the comedy store, there's a lot of classic and yeah. angry Dave Taylor rants on there. His and uh, Burger. Yeah, when Burger was here, that bur- the Burger review was great. Stuffing toilet paper, paper. In his pants, <laughs> yeah. you know, trying to sell weed to customers. <laughs> yeah, that guy was a, a piece of shit. I mean, I got along with him, but you know, he was one of the few people in that uh, time frame to pay me to do comedy because he would do like these wacky shows in like Lawndale and. Yeah, I did a show of his in Lancaster. Yeah, it might have been the same at a steakhouse. Real smoky. Yeah. Uh, me and uh, Keith Ernst, baby Ernst, little Ernst, yeah, uh, who I haven't seen since that night. Yeah, I, I did shows with him in Miami once, and then he uh, he worked at the same post production house as me. And he worked there for a couple months, showed up on his day off because he wanted to show how enthused he was about working there. At the time, we were both runners. And uh, he volunteered to take a a FedEx package, the FedEx store. And uh, it was like, no, we'll just send Rick. And he's like, no, no, I want to do it. Let me, please. And then he stopped and got gas and missed the the last time out. So they fired him for for showing the initiative on his day off. Well, that was the last I ever saw him. I mean, it's, it's weird. Like guys like that, you just wonder what happened to him. Yeah. I think he must've just got a regular job somewhere. Probably. I mean, from the day you started, how, how many people would you say from your, you know, starting the original days, class still do it? Not many. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like the people I did open mic with few and far and the people I worked with when I first started working here, it's, it's minimal. I mean, I, I've not, I guess, proud to say, but I've had a, a hand in <laughs> making sure some of those people left, I guess. I remember me and Hatchell, we started working here the same day <laughs> and, uh, there's this other guy named Drew oh, I don't and, know. uh, Drew was here for maybe six months just one of the worst comedians I've ever seen. He worked as a tour guide at Universal, and half of his bits were about that. Right. Uh, you know, I was a, uh, I'm a tour guide over Universal, and uh, I also uh, DJ at strip clubs sometimes. And, uh, man, it's so embarrassing when I get the two confused. And you're just oh, like, right. oh, geez. Well, if you look over here to the left, you're going to see King Kong and Ginger. You're like, oh. So we convinced this dude that... People love dogs. 
And I remember, <laughs> I remember starting to tell him this and Hatchell coming over and just getting that evil look that Hatchell right. can get where you're just like, Oh, this is going to be terrible for this guy. And, uh, we told him that while he does his really funny act, don't change the jokes because those are gold. Right. But he should be doing mannerisms of dogs, chasing his tail, scratching himself. And then this guy was so clueless. You really think so? Ah. And Hatchell's just selling it hard. I'm like, dude, who doesn't love dogs? You got to do it. He's like, I'm going to try it. So the dude tries it for a couple weeks. Every time he's out there, he's chasing his tail around or whatever right. and it just makes no sense the crowd's just like what the fuck is wrong with this guy but it's we're laughing because this guy's making a clown of himself and then mitty showed up one day <laughs> and drew is getting all the employees had to go up and drew was uh he's really nervous i think he comes up to me you guys think i should do the dog thing and we're like <laughs> definitely do the dog thing if there was ever a night to do it right tonight's the night this is going to see how much talent you have <laughs> how creative you are and uh he went up there doing his dog thing did three minutes whatever it was and he got off Mitzi, thank you so much for the stage time. You can't work here anymore. Oh. The only person I ever saw Mitzi fire from doing comedy, but uh, Drew, he was gone, never showed up again. That's crazy. There's this guy, Dusty, that used to hang out here, work here, kind of a redheaded guy. I remember Austin. There's a guy. Austin is super creepy. Like. Yeah, he lived with Sandy and those guys. I mean, uh, but you. He looked like Mo Sislak. <laughs> well, you. I mean, there was a lot of funny people working here. Yeah, like Oshak and yeah, it was easy. You, Nick. Yeah, Oshak was uh, before my time, but when I worked here, is uh, Ari still works some? Skippy Simon, right. Ren is easy. Um, God, there was a lot of random people, but a pretty pretty decent crew. Yeah, it used to. I mean. It, I think they still claim it does, but there used to be a a certain level of humor required to work here. Because again, Mitzi would fire you if you bombed. If she didn't like your set, you weren't allowed to be a doorman. I mean, didn't she do that with Ron Swallow? Or why did he get fired? I don't or was know. he fired for another reason? I don't remember. He, Ron was one of the first, he was the first person I met at the comedy store. Oh wow, that's when crazy! I, when I came to the did the open mic. He was, uh, he went up right before me. And then when I got off stage, he, man, you were really funny. He was really nice. And oh yeah. Nice dude. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of the only times I ever talked to Ron, but I, I still remember being like, right. oh, that guy's a good guy. My first time here was, uh, I was 20 years old and I came, I was in college in Kansas and I was like, I've been doing comedy for two years. I did impressions back then. They were terrible. Anything Will Ferrell was doing, I did a worse version of. And uh, I I wanted to move to L.A. or New York. And I decided once I turned 21, I would move to one or the other. And I came to L.A. over Christmas break uh, the year before I turned 21. And... You know, went to the different clubs and I couldn't really get in anywhere. The Laugh Factory and saw some crap show at the Laugh Factory while I was here. 
And then the guy I was staying with, his dad was one of those guys that just liked acting like he was connected. Right. He like sold insurance and in Redondo or something. But oh yeah, my business partner, his son is a talent manager and I'll hook you up while you're here. I'm just like, okay. And then the dude actually called me and was like, yeah, my dad's business partner said you're looking to try and get an in at a comedy club. And uh, if you want to go to the comedy store on Thursday night, I'll uh, send my guy, oh, wow. my guy Freeze Love is going to be up there. He'll show you around. I'm like, okay. So I showed up, got here early. Uh, Caparillo was working the back door then and uh, wouldn't let me in because really? I, I was only 20. I didn't have a fake ID. And then Freeze Love showed up. He's this big, jovial black dude real super nice he gave me the story about how since i'm from kansas city he's going to help me out because uh he opened on the road for eddie griffin who's from kansas city and so he felt like he should hook me up or help me out whatever so we go to the back door and i'm like yeah door guy already you know checked my id and said i couldn't get in he's like what it's the comedy store man don't worry about that shit he walked up and he's like yo this is my buddy Capri was like, all right, have fun. <laughs> we just walked in. I'm like, well, this is great. We went up in the belly room. Told He told the guy who was running the show, like, yeah, I'm going to go up. My boy's going to go up and do, like, you know, eight minutes before me or whatever. I'm sitting there. I probably had four minutes. Of, <laughs> I'm just like, eight minutes? What the fuck am I going to do? But I went up, and it was fine. I mean, I'm sure it sucked terribly, but I was so pumped to be going up in LA and not at Stanford and sons in Kansas city that I was just like, this is great. And, uh, hung out for, I don't know, two hours, whatever free showed me all the different rooms. So watch Charles Fleischer act like a maniac in the main room and, uh, then left, whatever moved out here six, seven months later. And, uh, never once again, have I ever seen freeze love. (laughs) I've been had multiple times. People are like, "Hey, Freeze Love was here last night." I'm like, "Wow." I mean, it's been almost 15 years since then. But I know Phazon Love. Yeah, is that his dad. <laughs> no, that's just one of the many loves. Right. I, There's a lot of black loves out there. Sergio Love. Oh, he's uh, an icon of the store. Beatboxing legend. Me lucky charm. <laughs> In my convertible. <laughs> Legends. I'm trying to think the first person I actually met up here was Gaylord Dangler. Legend. My dad's favorite comedian of this day. <laughs> I, he was, he was hilarious. I mean, I, I used to give him rides to open mics and really, yeah, I, I felt bad for him. You know, people, you know, how, yeah. you know, with people like that, he was, he was a Gaylord. You can look up Gaylord online. There's a, a documentary yeah. that someone made about him and, uh, there's a lot of cool stories about Gaylord, but he was an open micer at the comedy store for like 26 years or something. And he was a little, he was odd. He was a strange man. He would make hysterically racist quips at the most unexpected times. Yes, he would. And, uh, had, uh, to me, what was amusing one-liners and <laughs> yeah. misdirection. Machine, <laughs> Machine ripped his leg off. Thank you. He was the only person all, uh, prior to Jay London I ever saw thank the crowd yeah. regardless of their response. You know, he was uh, just 
I'd like to think most of the crowd are known pedophiles. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, many of you cannot afford McDonald's because you are Al Qaeda and homosexuals. Thank you. <laughs> Who is this fucking guy? This genius. The, the second guy I met was Scotty Barron. Oh, yeah. Scotty. Titty sweat. Yeah. And so, and then the Brody thing was like, all right, this place is, I don't think I'm ready for it's, this. Scotty Barron has passed away. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, that's, the, you know, a lot of people I uh, have met up here have uh, moved on to, uh, you know, other, you know, the other life. So Scotty Barron, Gaylord Dingler, who else was rolling around in the open mic at that time? Uh, let me see. Um, I think Peter Chen. Oh, okay. Peter was still around. Don Barris, fuck you. You don't. Everybody always talking. People think, how come nobody's interrupting anybody else? How come only Peter? How come only everybody interrupting when I'm on stage? These are professional jokes. (laughs) Fuck you. I walk out then. Let me see. It's there's so it's so many different uh, Mickey, of course, uh, legend. If you're a big fan of Bollywood films, you might have seen Mickey <laughs> star in a couple as the the handsome stranger, if you will. He is a good looking guy. He's, he's got a Sam Elliott look about him. As definitely the Roadhouse Sam Elliott. Uh, he he just it's a wandering brain with that guy too. Well, the interesting thing with Mickey is you catch him some days and he's coherent. Yeah. And other days, it's literally like he took mescaline and he's trying to crawl out of the journey and you're just yeah, along. I mean, uh, Dagmar was. Uh, oh, yeah. Was Dagmar. Interesting. She was in the uh, Dingler documentary. Dagmar, is. she was a special and, case uh, of giant breasts and delusional okay. visions of grandeur. Yeah. I think I went over to her house one day to read a script and, you know, like. You know, things happened. One thing led to another. I never slept with her, but like, I mean, I don't want to get. I I know Ari's going through that thing with the, the, you know, I don't want to name names. Sure. So Damian Merlina. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's her. Uh, you know, I, I, maybe I shouldn't have said Dagmar, but you know. Uh, no, I think it's all okay. I don't know that this has the same clout as a Comedy Central special. Probably. Um, I'm I'm willing to bet there's going to be at least nine people that listen to this podcast. Well, I mean, I thought I did the first episode where I interviewed Jeff Richards, but I guess that's like uh, going to be like scrapped because I know you were the original. Yeah. You did a few, like. I did six episodes and then we could never get anybody to podcast. Like I'd be like, yeah, well you do the comedy store podcast. And they're like, what is it? And I'd be like, it's a podcast. The comedy store wanted to start. And I believe I was chosen a host based on the fact that I'm here a lot and uh, I'm willing to do it for nothing, right. which was really, I think the key. Um, but yeah, I, I would try and get people to show up. And after two months of everyone being like, yeah, I'll do it. And then the day of being like, yeah, I can't do it. I have to go do anything anywhere else right. whatsoever. I was just like, fuck this. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, just on my own podcast, it's so hard to get people to come to your house for an hour. Yeah. I mean, I would think this the comedy store is a bit more of a cachet than my condo on Larrabee, but, <laughs> you know. It was, I enjoyed it. The, the interviews I did get to do. I interviewed Argus and it was one of the most Oh, interesting yes. comedy store storytelling episodes I'd heard. And he tells, um, he tells these really amazing, just little bits of stories that you kind of heard, but you didn't know about. Right. And then he adds a whole dimension of parts that there's no reason for anyone to ever know that. 
aspect of it right. where you're just like, like I asked him, I said, I heard, uh, I heard John Belushi came to the comedy store the night he overdosed. Oh, yes, he did. And here's an interesting thing that people don't usually talk about. And I mean, it's like, dude, we are we are breaking a story here. I'm expecting me and Robin Williams did coke and heroin with them. He started freaking out and we left. That's what I'm hoping for. But what he hits us with is here's something that people don't usually tell you about that night. John Belushi came to the comedy store for a Sandra Bernhardt showcase. Oh, wow. You're just like, wait, that's that's the exciting thing? And then he was, the rest of the stuff he talked about was cool. He talked about, uh, you know, he said they all left here to go do blows, Robert De Niro and Robin and Belushi and a bunch of other people. They left the comedy store to go back to Belushi's bungalow. And Argus had just gotten out of... Betty Ford for the second time and Mitzi had two people hired at the comedy store whose job it was just to make sure Argus didn't <laughs> didn't get fucked up right. so they wouldn't let him leave and he was so mad Oh, wow. and then he got a call the next day at, I got a phone call the next day one in the afternoon saying that John Belushi had died and I need to come down and do a piece on him for the news I'm just like why would they ask Argus? But I guess he was the he was the go to guy. So, wow. but he he was fun and it was interesting because he had no idea what a podcast was. So I asked him. I said, Argus, do you do the pod comedy store podcast? I'd love to, buddy. What is it? That's you know, it's a, I'll interview you and oh, how long? Well, maybe you know, half an hour, hour, whatever you're comfortable doing. It's like okay. So he showed up. He did his set, and right after a set, we went back and did the interview and um started immediately so what is a podcast like oh it's like a internet radio show it's like just you know a, a, a radio interview show that's on the internet what channel like i i don't know that you know how the internet works if that's your question what <laughs> what channel of the internet turn it to channel 64 online argus and you'll hear this legendary storytelling but yeah, it was interesting. He had a lot of stories about the old days that uh, who knows if they're true, but I mean, I don't know how I could remember them given the uh, the level of intoxication, the uh, the, the nasal candy. He was yeah, on. yeah, he was pretty open about all that stuff, which is cool. But again, who knows how much of his mind is on point with all that? He's, he talked about Bill Hicks and uh, how he convinced Bill Hicks to come to L.A. from Texas right. and. And let him stay in his room because he was shacking up at Mitzi's and all sorts of things. We're like, oh, that's a cool thing. And then you're like, oh, so then Bill Hicks got successful? No, he he left. <laughs> like, oh, so it, it didn't actually improve his career at all. You allowing him to move here, you just wanted to mention that you knew Bill Hicks. Got it. Oh yeah, I mean, it's kind of neat for me to see Argus here. He's like such a the historical figure of LA comedy. Yeah. See that he still does it. It's like, Uh, I love that. He still asks people where they're from and then tries to tell them the closest newspaper that he syndicated in. Yeah. And it's always some upset. Where are you from? Uh, Kansas city, Kansas. Oh, well, if you pick up the grand junction gazette, it's the fourth highest circulated newspaper in Grand Junction, Kansas. You can get it at your local fire department. You're just like, why would any? No one's going to drive four hours to 
But he, he knows them all. All these little newspapers. Uh, I can't believe they exist if they really do. I mean, he first time I brought him up, he afterwards he's like, "What your last name's Skakel? Oh, I used to hang out with Bobby and your uncle." I mean, he was just. It's like he's connected to everything. Like, yeah. Whether it's where you're from, my cousins. I mean, it's like he's like uh, the ass Jeeves of like <laughs> of the, the real world. world. Yeah. Like, he is like the Kevin Bacon of like. Everyone's comedy. got a connection to Argus. So I always think it's funny. He brings me up. Uh, I, I've done La Jolla with him a couple times, and he gives me this long introduction about how I'm the best of the millennials, which is a generation I'm not a part of. But uh, he then gives this long rant about how Robin Williams called him and told him what a special talent I was and how I'm going places and stuff. And all I'm thinking is there's no way that conversation happened because the one night that I hung out with Robin Williams was because I was doing a drunk Argus impression and I was hammered and I got hammered with Robin Williams who then had to go to rehab. But the whole night I was in character as Argus and Robin just was loving it. He said, uh, just imagine having someone who's like the teacher's pet and gets you in trouble all the time and pisses you off a lot. And then 20, 30 years later, you go back to that same place and there's some little punk kid just mocking the shit out of him. <laughs> He's like, that's how I feel right now. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. But I just had a hard time picturing him sharing that with me. And then picking up the phone and calling Argus, <laughs> wow. being like, "Argus, you, you, this kid's going places. He mocked you for four hours last night." But obviously, the story got back to Argus, and he just altered it to to be what he wants it to be. But well, welcome to Hollywood. Yeah, I guess that's the the truth of the story there. But wow. yeah, who knows? This place is magical. I mean, so you've been back now for uh, solid like five years. Five years. And you started when you started coming back. You were jamming with the Don Barris band a lot. Well, I would just heckle Don and Brody, right? And I'd get off some pretty good lines. And then Tommy, uh, probably the only nice thing he's ever said to me was, uh, "I don't do a great impression of him, but like he's like, what's your deal, Cad? I want you to start coming around." <laughs> like, like this Edward G. Robinson, yeah, so it's all Cagney and <laughs> like Tom Petty meets. Wow. Like, so I and then Brody left and I, I was so desperate for stage time here. Brody left the band or right. You know, and Him and Don like, got into a fight. One of many fights. Yeah. You never know with them if it's real or if it's like, yeah, just shtick their and, gag. And so I thought, well, I'll start. I'll just replace Brody and show Tommy I'm funny that way. And. And then, I, that, you know, once again, I probably should have consulted Whitney for uh, <laughs> advice because that was probably not the best. I thought it was amusing when you got past, I saw Tommy and he was talking about, um, you know, the showcase. And, uh, the first thing he said was that he thought it was ridiculous that Jeremiah Watkins didn't get passed. And he was just like, Jerem- Jeremiah's ready. And I said, yeah, I mean, he, he, he didn't have a good set. I mean, it would have been tough for Adam to pass him on that night given he did not as well as everyone else who showcased. And then he was like, oh, yeah. And he said, uh, who got past Earl and who? And I said, Candace. And I said, 
I've been working on her for a while. And with Earl, I was just looking for the right time to work them in. I was just like, are you, are you taking post him getting passed by someone else credit? Like he had this master plan that was slowly building and that he was never going to include you in on. But Oh, I don't think he was ever going to pass me. But uh, he was just weird with me. Like, uh, you know, I'm not an ass kisser, but I think I went about him the right way. I would never. I see some people kind of just harassed him into passing them. And I didn't want to get past like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like one night he, there was a paid regular, uh, bombing and Barris was late and he just said, Hey man, save not, not save the show, but go on till Don gets here. And, uh, so I went on and did pretty well. And like my reward was watching the comic who was bombing get two spots the next week. And, uh, I, he literally put Bob Epervi on, uh, on uh, a night where he had a choice, me or Bob, to close out the show, and he picked Bob, who's like this homeless fucking maniac, paranoid, schizophrenic, lunatic, complete lunatic. Yeah, and that's fine, but it's like, all right, maybe. I mean, what am I? After that, I was like, uh, I, I mean, how do you approach him? Like, you know. So, I mean, I'll, I'll always hold a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a grudge, but. I'm in a completely powerless position. One of those where you're just like, fuck that guy. Yeah, but I'll always wonder why he, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, because we had great conversations about, like, music and stuff. And, like, he's actually, you know, nice when you don't talk about comedy with him. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I guess it all worked out, but. Yeah, he's an odd, he's an odd man. You know, I mean, I know that. I feel sorry for him, Adam, and whoever comes after Adam when he goes. It is a tough job. Yeah, it's just, you know, being a talent coordinator at a comedy club in L.A. means that you have roughly 8,000 people that want you to please them at all yeah. times. So, and there's just no doing it. I keep telling Adam, offering, you don't have to pay me a dime. Just give me the title of assistant talent coordinator, and I will literally call and or tell every person you want to fuck off. They're not getting stage time, and he won't take me up on that offer. I think he should. I think it's a perfect gig for me. I mean, if I had to say what my best quality is, I'd say professional uh, bridge burner, and uh, what a great opportunity to really spread that. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I think Tommy, and you knew him better than I did, I to me, his problem was he would almost encourage people. He never had any intention of passing like me and, and others. And Adam, from what I can see, is at least if he doesn't think you're funny, he'll basically say, yeah. hey, you're not my cup of tea. He'll say it nicely, but at least he's not. Uh, he's not just blowing air up yeah. your ass. Like, yeah. Which I would think would make would have made Tommy's job easier. Like he People hated him. Yeah, there. I mean, there was a couple people I watched Tommy say things to her. I was just like, whoa, because it was so out of character. Because like you said, most of the time it was just two-faced Tommy. You're building towards something. But there's a couple of times that I watch them, like someone go up and be like, yeah, I just did mediocre in front of five people. Pretty pretty good, right? He's like, well, I wish your jokes were as good as your confidence. What? Out of all the times now to fucking yell at some poor guy just trying to get up in front of him but he would always uh when I, he'd have me host the open mic 
he'd always originally he'd have like a list of like 40 people that he promised that he would try and get up. I'd be like, I'm not putting those people up. Right. Oh, they're just trying to get some say. Yeah, so give them stage time. You're the talent coordinator. They're not going up during my set. And then eventually it became, well, I needed to clean house. So I'm having you host. So that way I can just tell everyone there's no chance of getting up this week. Be like, <laughs> okay. I guess I'm the, the pit bull that's here to do the dirty work. But then people show, yeah, I'm, uh, Tommy said you might be able to. Yeah, Tommy lied to you. There's no way you're getting up tonight. Oh, because usually Tommy will, you know, put me up for, yeah, go talk to Tommy about it because you're not going to get up now. I got to get up the employees and then the show is going to be over. Yeah, usually they put me up with the employees. Not happening. (laughs) I mean, that's why I think the younger comics are so lucky they weren't around when you and like Danish and O'Neill were doing the open mic, you know, because it's like, I remember once I co-hosted it with Quincy and I was just doing Tommy impressions. <laughs> One guy was like, this guy's too mean. And it's like, you think I'm mean? Yeah, yeah, no Angram, Danish and O'Neill weren't here. Yeah, we were pretty brutal. Those are the two, two of the guys that I came up with in my generation started open mics with them and worked here together. And uh, we all kind of have that same fuck all of you mentality, I think, that has obviously progressed us to the high level of uh, <laughs> appreciation in Hollywood we have today. But um, those guys cracked me up. I just watched the video of them doing Jimmy Pidd's open mic in Buffalo. Oh, oh wow. I, didn't, I haven't seen that. They uh, they went to Buffalo with Renazizi and Jimmy Pidd told them, you know, I do open mic at midnight and Thursday. You guys should come by. So they all got high shit and drunk. And they were like, let's go to pit show. And they just took it over. There's like eight people at some shitty Buffalo wing restaurant. And they're like in a basement. It looks like it said like in your buddy's dad's basement. Right. And O'Neill is so fucked up. He keeps trying to lean on a post that isn't on the stage. <laughs> he like almost falls over a bunch. And they just rip Jimmy Pitt apart. You snaggle tooth motherfucker. It just it's so mean, but everyone's loving it. And Ren is easy. He's just full on. Look at this guy. He's, this guy's eating 30 buffalo wings. And if you're looking for quality buffalo wings, why not buffalo wild wings? <laughs> what are you doing? Corporate corporate sponsorship on the Jimmy Pidd open mic? It was pretty funny, though. I don't know why that was recorded, but. Well, I mean, I, I just think that. Pitt's putting it out there for the world. He knows. Hey, why not? You People know. want to see that pit open mic. You who Charlie's in the basement. I've done worse, man. Yeah, high as well. That's why. That's one of the few reasons I'm. Well, it's, it's many reasons I'm glad I'm finally passed up here. But it's it's nice to go on. You know, in front of people like you and like Renazizi, I, I don't think in ten years it'd ever seen me go up. Yeah, um, I mean, Delia was like, I didn't even know you did comedy, and he wasn't. He was. It wouldn't mean mean. He, he, just, he really, which is probably a problem. You know, at that point, <laughs> you know, I just thought you were one of those guys that hangs out. Yeah, well, that's probably my own fault here. I I just love this place so much. The last couple of years, I just, Barris is great to do uh, whatever you want fuck to around with, and, yeah. with or whatever, and. and and I probably should have, but I was so uh, perplexed at how to deal with Tommy. As I, I guess I was waiting for him to get fired. Yeah, I think a lot of people were. So, and I don't, you know, you know, Adam's amazing to me. He, 
it probably gives me too many spots, but you know, I'm so. I don't uh, think that's. But I mean, I have case, no TV credit. Yeah, and no me neither. Yeah, or whatever, and, and so I'm like. It's about buzz, Earl. <laughs> I don't have any, Tommy. That's well, a, that's what Tommy always used to say to me. Well, you've got buzz right now. Who's buzzing about me? Well, you know, Whitney, Chris, they had buzz last year. Now you've got buzz. I think what you mean is they have management, and I don't have management, so that's probably not going to help my case. Well, there's something, though. But I, I, mean, got, I had yeah. a guy call me last week and ask if you were going up. I'm like, was was he someone important or was it just some guy? I don't know. He, <laughs> he seemed excited. I mean, you know, I loved Tommy's music, but I could never, you know, because that's my like 80s, you know. Yeah. I could never tell him because it was like, I, I can't. Yeah. I can't. I can't. But I will say I was almost so desperate to get past up here and I didn't know what was coming down the pike, uh, you know, for his dismissal. Right. Uh, that I almost said, hey, what if I go to the guitar center with you? You can buy any guitar you want and I'll stuff it with weed. <laughs> Will that get me in? I mean, I just wanted to get fucking past. Yeah, I, I couldn't do it that way. He he probably would have done it. I mean, he passed Burger based on Burger was his drug dealer. Which is like, that's, it's like, wow. I mean, I, you know, I'm a proud person. I like, I like want people to go, Hey, Earl's funny. He should be passed up here. But I, you know, Hollywood probably doesn't work like that. No, <laughs> no, it, it works more on, uh, I'm selling you drugs. So pass me. Yeah. So. I was just like, wow. And I heard that. And then maybe another guy gave him studio time and right. it's like, fuck man, what do I have to offer this guy that can get me in? And, and he had the, one of the, the, he had that guy, Brandon Christie for a while that he was given stage time to, it was like, a he produced like the theme song to uh, entertainment tonight <laughs> or something. And like played keyboard in like Scottish boy bands and stuff. And he's a pretty nice dude, but yeah. He was essentially like open mic level comedian and Tommy was given him lots of stage time and there was some sort of a music connection that two of them had. And, uh, and I like Brandon. He, he's a, a nice dude. I did a couple random shows with him, but one of the things I respected about him was he quit. He was just like he, one, he's successful doing something else, right. but, uh, I hadn't seen him in a long time and I saw him, uh, I, th- I think at the veterinarian and he was, I goes, yeah, how's comedy? He's, uh, she's like, Oh, I don't do comedy anymore. He just gave me a whole thing about, it. he's like, I'm not very good at it and <laughs> gave it a try. And you know, it's just like, I should just quit. So I quit. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize people made that realization. And then when that former waitress started running the show down at, uh, the lounge, the Charlie Chaplin house or whatever. Van Cluse. Van Cluse. I don't want to plug them, but uh, some guy who I believe is an open micer got bumped or something or felt he was, should go up and he didn't go up till late. And so he just started ranting on Facebook, like calling her an ugly bitch <laughs> t- talking about what a fucking skank she was and stuff. And it just kind of seemed like this dude is just obviously a fucking sour puss. So, uh, we started, I just started fucking more or less baiting him into a Facebook fight and talking about how he's, he's nobody. And I think I remember it. Yeah. He got all mad about it. And then Brandon Christie just posted this really long thing. That was so funny. It was just telling everyone they should quit. Yeah. And no. now he quit and everyone else should quit. And, uh, 
they made some joke about Tony Hinchcliffe or something. Oh, watch out. But I, I just remember being like, wow, that's awesome. I, I, there's only ever been one other person I've met who I saw him. Oh, yeah, how's it going? How's comedy? He's like, yeah, no, I quit. I'm not, I wasn't that good. Was who like, was it? A guy named Monty that I started with in Kansas City. Oh, okay. And he moved out here. I got him some spots in the open mic or whatever, friends and family. And he would never do that good. He had a great opening line. He's like, I look like Bob Saget if his head shrank. And he did. That's what he looked like. Right. He looked like Bob Saget with two thirds the size head. It was like way too small for his body. And then after that, it was all downhill. It was like crispy chicken. Oh my God. Uh, had a great joke about looking like a homeless Tom Selleck. And it was like, holy shit, you do. And then after that, it was all downhill. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people who probably shouldn't do it still, but. <laughs> that's what I'm saying is most people just will just believe for some reason, like, no, I need to keep doing this. I've had no success for 50 years, but my time is coming. And, uh, that's what I hope I don't become, but right. who knows? Oh, I don't, I mean, I just like doing it and like seeing funny people like, you know, you guys, you know, funny comics that I respect finally get to see me as a comic versus like right. some cool guy who hangs out. And there, there are a lot of cool guys. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. There are a lot of guys that hang out that aren't cool. Yeah, know? like, well, I don't want um, names. And there's tons of them. And that they've always been, there's always 10 to 20 people who serve no purpose here that just hang out. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of those things where you're like, I don't want to be part of that. But yeah, you get lumped in with them. And I was almost treading into that territory. Like, you know. I don't know that you were ever there. I, I mean, I guess I've always known you as a comic, so. I mean, that makes different. me feel better, but I just still always felt like, fuck, I want to go up and like. Yeah. At least so people see me go up, but, you know, so, but, you know, Adam's like, you know. He's figured it out. Well, yeah, no, I, you know, I don't want to come off too ass kissy, but, you know, when you wait 15 years, it's like, I, I owe him something, not money, but uh, you know, like I just owe him thanks. So. Just throw him the Tyree jokes, and oh, we'll get him on stage. Dude, I got to show you these. It's like, <laughs> I, one was one. Yeah, it was like something about I own a twenty thousand dollar liquor cabinet. I don't even drink. Like <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Classics. And just like, and then he hit me. It started hitting me up for money. And you know, I, I gave him a hundred bucks once just because I felt you know I don't know kind of bad or whatever and. He's like, shit, man, I can't even buy cigarettes with this. I'm like, all right, man, this is probably not going to work. <laughs> you know, then, oh, 100's not good enough for uh, you to you just know, give you? See, that's pretty nice, you know. But, uh, you know, I've learned not to give people money up here. Yeah, it's the hard way. a good plan. So I've been blessed to never have money to give people. So, But well, Comedy Store is the wrong place to have money probably because there are leeches everywhere you turn. I did it recently. Um, pain uh you know it's just uh yeah it's just uh you, you know i think we're we're pretty similar people uh, we're good people and uh i you know I, I learned a valuable lesson yeah it's tough you can't count on people to fucking live up to their end of the bargain here so well i mean before we go i just want to say you've always been nice to me even when you didn't even know me and uh you know it, I'm uh, honored to know you. Oh, thanks, man. You as well. It's a, a pleasure. I'm glad that you were willing to do this because I had a feeling when they were like, we want to start this again. I'm like, nobody's going to do it. That's why we stopped doing it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped you were able to do so and uh, come by and 
talk comedy store. Well, it's not. I'm socially awkward off the stage, and like, there's very few people I could have done this with. You know, Barris, and you know, maybe uh, when it's easy, and, right. and like, uh, you know, it's not easy for two comics to talk like this for an hour or whatever. Yeah, without feeling some moments of you know, like God, I gotta get out. Of here. <laughs> How do I bail on this? I love Ingram, but uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, but I didn't feel one second. There's got to be a Dagmar here somewhere. Yeah, it's gotta. I mean, I, I, I can't lie and say I have somewhere to go at twelve fifty on a Friday night. <laughs> other than my dog's been in the car for six hours. <laughs> but I, you know, I feel bad. But you know. all right. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show, man. This Thank is, you, uh, Rick. You're the, the king. return uh, episode of comedy store uh, podcast at least there's probably been like 40 episodes that i don't know about but well i mean I, my I, return at this least. is yeah because i think i did the one with jeff richards and jeff was doing this uh bizarre like character and i i was honestly i figure he's an iconic figure up here sure uh and you know i love jeff yeah you know, he's amazing but uh, i was struggling to uh I think we did about a half hour before I tapped out. <laughs> I got You're like, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I, I'm trying here. He's, He's insane like sometimes. So, uh, but thank you, Rick. Yeah, absolutely, man. And um, yeah, check out some of the old episodes too. I think they said they're going to put them up. You got a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Just inappropriate Earl, where which is I guess uh, it's not like anything groundbreaking. I just a lot of 80s celebrities because that's you know my scene. Sweet. And uh, you're on Twitter and yeah, Facebook. Earl Skakel. Oh. S-K-A-K-E-L on, you know, Instagram. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, yeah, I don't, the kids today. I'm no well, Steve Hofstadter. I don't know what I'm doing. None of us are. But, I mean, that guy's making, t- you know, he's like Mr. Promoter. So yeah. I, in some ways, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I I admire anyone, Jay Davis, how he gets packs rooms. and. Uh, yep, that's an aspect of the industry I don't possess. And I don't know that I ever will be able to, so. I, I have mad props for those guys for being able to do that because nah, I'm clueless. Which it seems is like most, it's not, I mean, I grew up with maybe in the wrong way of thinking, just be funny. Yeah, me too. And that'll just, be enough. People will appreciate talent. Yeah, I'll work hard. Nope. And uh, so that's probably a good way to end it on a negative note. Yep. That's the uh, the 1980s American way. Just yeah. work hard. This is Earl and Rick. <laughs> Don't start. (laughs) Yeah. Stay home. Don't do open mics. Have a good night, guys. See you.